Please join with me uh, in a word of prayer. Dear Lord, I thank you for your church, and I thank you especially, Jesus, that you have promised to build your church. And on this Get Connected Sunday, I pray that that would happen. And Lord, I thank you for the gifts that you have given to the body of Christ, especially the gifts of preaching and teaching. Help me to use mine well, and I pray for this whole church to be strengthened today. Encourage us, please, Lord, from your word, for I ask it in your holy name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. One of the things that I really like about being an Anglican is that we are part of something bigger than any one individual church or even one individual country. There's something like 80 million estimated members of the Anglican church around the globe. And it's inspiring to be part of something bigger. As you probably know, yesterday we consecrated a new bishop at the cathedral in Tallahassee, and um, it was a glorious day. In many ways, you know, at the cathedral they like to go a little fancy, so a little extra pomp. But it actually points a little bit to the heavenly worship we see in the book of Revelation. And we had people show up from over 40 churches across four different states. There were a dozen bishops from all over North America. There was a line of clergy vested so long that we were in the parking lot 20 minutes to come in, and it took two processional hymns to get us all into the church. But, you know, it was a glorious day. And it reminds us that we belong to something. You know, in the Bible in Genesis, as God starts creating things, after each category of thing he creates, he declares it to be good. And he saw that it was good, and it was good. At one point, it's even very good. But in the Bible, in Genesis chapter 2, the first time God points something out that's not good is he says it's not good for man to be alone. And that remains true today. It's not good for us to be alone. And this is not just an Anglican thing. This is a human thing. It's interesting to me that many years ago when we lived in Chicago, we visited that famous church, Willow Creek. And Willow Creek is an non, it was called a non-denominational church, although all non-denominational churches are affected by denominational influences at some point, but they had created something called the Willow Creek Association and were inviting other non-denominational churches to join that. And it was like, I mean, Anglicans, we call it a diocese, but they were joining a grouping. And even locally this week, I had a pastor's lunch with some pastors from different churches in the area. Um, River Christian, Christ Church, the Journey Church, 1122, a bunch of the campus pastors got together for lunch. And they all, we all expressed our desire to be in community together, to pursue unity of the faith. This is because it's not good to be alone. Now, my text today is Ephesians chapter 4, which is probably one of two New Testament passages that is most gone to for an explanation of the unity of the body of Christ, the other being John 17, Jesus' high priestly prayer. But here in Ephesians 4, the Apostle Paul is talking about the unity of the body of Christ. But back in chapter 2, he uses some words that are so hard for us. He uses the words separated, alienated, and strangers. He's describing the Gentiles who are on the outside of the people of God, and he says, he's speaking to Gentiles who've become Christians, and he's reminding them of something very important. He says, he says, remember that you were at that time, meaning before you were a Christian, you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. Separated, alienated, strangers. 
That is our situation as unbelievers. And then Paul goes on and says, but, and there's one of those great, but now in Christ. He says there is one new humanity. There's no longer Jew and Gentile or any other category that would divide. There is now one new mankind created in Christ. And the first three chapters of Ephesians, Ephesians 1, 2, and 3, lay out what God has done for us in Christ. It's all about his grace, his salvation. And then chapters 4, 5, and 6, chapter 4 where we start today, is the, the imperatives, the commands. In light of chapters 1, 2, and 3, therefore, you do this. And he starts giving three chapters of what we should do in light of what God has already done. This is very important to get that order correct. Now, I want to say to you this morning, if you are a Christian or you are becoming a Christian, you are called into a new kind of belonging. There's a metaphor here in chapter 4 of the human body. And Paul is saying that you, if you are a Christian, you are Christ's body and Christ is the head. And there is one head and one body. And you are a part of that body. This is a, a metaphor, there are many metaphors for the church in the New Testament, but this is a very common one that occurs in a number of places. And this morning I want to say to you that Christ has one body where you belong. Christ has one body where you belong. And I'm going to talk about both halves of that. Christ has one body where you belong. So let's talk about the one body. In, um, the word one occurs seven times in three verses. And many of the scholars think this was part actually of an early catechism or some kind of a poem or some kind of teaching to help new believers understand the unity of the church. And Paul inserts this into chapter 4, and it says, I, have a, I, I drew a box around it in my text. It says there, he writes, there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. You probably recognize that from the opening liturgy, maybe, of a baptism service. We actually use that in the opening liturgy as we start into Baptism Sunday. And the unity of the church comes out of the unity of God. There is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. And just like the body has one head that is Christ, there is only one body, not many bodies. And we, who are looking with earthly eyes, we see Christian denominations, but God only sees one church. We make distinctions, some petty, some more weightier, but we see denominations, and God sees one church. I like in the creed how we even say, I believe in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. We say there is one church in the world. It's holy because we've been called out of the world. We are, even in this passage, to walk in a manner according to this calling. We are to be holy because God is holy. His church is holy, it's set aside, it's to look different than society. It's Catholic, which means it's universal. It transcends the world, cultures, times, uh, different seasons, all that sort of stuff. And it's apostolic, which means it is both founded on the teaching of the apostles, the capital A apostles, but the Greek word apostolos simply means uh, a sent, a sent person. Apostello is I send in Greek. And so, the apostles, capital A apostles, were sent out to lay down the foundational teachings of the church, which we have recorded in the scriptures, and the church is still being sent. 
Jesus gives a great commission in all the Gospels and sends his church into the world. Now, we're lowercase a apostles. We're not writing down foundational doctrines of the church anymore. We're simply proclaiming them and starting works around the world to uh, encourage people to come to the church, to join the Lord, and to hear of the salvation that we have in Christ. But there is one church, and therefore, Paul has to come right out even before there were all what we call denominations, this is in the very first you know, decade of the church, he has to come right out in verse 2 of chapter 4 and say, um, walk in a man- manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called with all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit and the bond of peace. God wants his church to be united. He wants us to bear with one another in love to be patient with our differences. This is really important because I find that a lot of pastors and even church members tend to think in terms of what I've heard called a fiefdom, where a thief grabs some of a king's realm and claims it as his own little fiefdom. We tend to think this is my church, my people, my campus, and that causes competition. But that shouldn't be. It's not a competition because it's not even our church. You are not my sheep. We have a good shepherd, and you belong to him. This is not our church. This is Jesus' church, and we are members of it. But that is so refreshing to be able to hold on loosely. And if the Lord wants to take a a sheep out and send that sheep to another part of his his bigger pasture, then we let that happen, And and he sends. He moves his sheep around. He does this. It's okay. It's a good thing often. Now, I will say this. We who are in this particular denomination are here because there are certain things we really like that we think are good. I'm not saying you shouldn't like those things, but be careful about talking negatively about another person's spouse. That comes back to bite you often. And the church is referred to as the bride of Christ. So be careful talking about the bride of Christ in another denomination, because there is one church, as we say. But it's really freeing to recognize that Sometimes people come to faith in one denomination, and then they, they grow as a disciple and are matured in a different denomination. You know, the Anglican Church is, I think, a pretty good way for systematically forming people into the gospel. But it does have some obstacles to evangelism. Other denominations are really focused on evangelism, but once you become a Christian, it's sometimes hard to go deeper in the faith. But the thing is, there's one church. It's diverse. And so God uses it according to his purposes. Jesus said, I will build my church. And he says to us, you go make disciples. So the Apostle Paul can say, even in the early church when there was conflicts over which pastor was, you know, a certain church's pastor, he says, one plants or sows the seed, another waters, but God gives the growth. Again, that takes the pressure off of us. So Christ has one body. Christ has one body where you belong. The passage we just read in verse 16 comes to this conclusion, where there's a whole body that is joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. When each part is working properly, it makes the body grow up so that it builds itself up in love. When each part is working properly. Now, I saw a sermon illustration one time that left such a graphic image in my mind, I will probably never be able to let go of it, and I wouldn't dare um, actually do that in in this church. But I'm going to tell you what it was, and that's enough to, to set the example. A pastor took an anatomically correct hand from some kind of a 
uh, a fake body, but it looked right. And he put it in a large mason jar with yellow dyed water to look like formaldehyde. And he put it under a cloth. And as he was preaching on the body of Christ, he took the cloth off. There's a severed human hand in formaldehyde in front of the pulpit. And the point is, it's so grotesque and unnatural, it should not be. Now, there are lots of hands in this room right now. Here are two of them. They don't look weird when they're connected to an arm in a body. But if I, my hand was laying on the floor right there, we would all be super creeped out about it. The point is this. You are a body part. It's unnatural to not be connected to the body. What is this Sunday? Get connected Sunday. That's the point here. Now, um, let me, let me say a, 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 a difficult pastoral thing. If for some reason you cannot find your way to get connected to this church, find a church where you can because your discipleship matters. Now, if you have a hard time connecting to any church, that might be a heart issue and maybe need some prayer and some counseling and some help with that. But what Paul is saying here is that maturity is the goal. He wants people to be built up. He wants the body to be built up, and that means people need to be connected to one another. Now, just as there is a unity of one church in the world, there is actually a diversity of gifts within that church. So in verse 7, it says that grace was given to each one of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. In other words, you're not all the same. You've been given unique, specific gifts by, according to his grace, how he apportioned his gifts. And that's good. We don't need, you know, 50 hands and no arms. We need all the body parts to function well. And he starts out in verse 11, and he says that there are apostles and there are prophets, there are evangelists, pastors, and teachers, these offices that are in church leadership. And he's talking here about gifts being given, and, and he's quoting um, Psalm 68. In Psalm 68, King David is writing about God conquering enemies. He has conquered the Egyptians. He's led the Israelites out to Mount Sinai and given them the law. And then he has led them in triumphal procession up into Jerusalem, and the ark has come to dwell there. It's a picture of a conquering king. It's very military in its, in its speaking. And it says, when he ascended, in Psalm 68, it says, when he ascended, he received gifts from man, from even his enemies. Now, Paul says when he, Christ, ascended, he's not talking now about going up to Jerusalem. He's talking about ascending from the grave. It says that he gave gifts to man and women. And I don't think Paul got it wrong. I think he's picking up the image here of what happens when a king conquers another nation. All the people collect up all of the spoils of war, and they bring it to their leader, who then apportions it back out to the people. The king doesn't keep all that stuff. The whole people is built up. And so when Christ conquered sin and Satan and death and rose and ascended to his Father's right hand, he gave gifts to his church to build the whole thing up, starting with the apostles and the prophets, the people who gave the doctrines, the evangelists who go and tell the world about it, and then pastors and teachers who then explain it to people and disciple people. But here's the important thing of Ephesians 4, and this is why I went to it on Get Connected Sunday. It says he gave those offices which, by the way, is not an exhaustive list. If you go over to 1 Corinthians 12, he says, he, he says, first apostles, then prophets, 
And then he says teachers and workers of miracles, and he puts other things in. This is not an exhaustive list. But those that are in offices of leadership in the church are not to do the work of ministry, but to equip the saints for the work of ministry, for the building up of the body. That's what verse 12 says. You can look at it, Ephesians 4.12, to equip the saints for the work of ministry. So this is not a trick question. This is a real question. Who are the ministers of the church? You are. I mean, we are too, but it's, we're called ministers, but that is really unhelpful. You are the ministers of the church. We also are ministers of the church, but you have a ministry, and you have unique gifts to offer, and you must grow in both of these. You've got to do some work to figure out what your gifts are and what your particular ministry assignment is, and that assignment changes from time to time, which is helpful to be cognizant of. Maybe the Lord has given me a new assignment in this season to bring my gifts to bear over on this part of the body of Christ and for a season. The last thing you want to do is keep plowing over here when God's grace is moved for you over there. So you have to keep listening for the, the voice of the good shepherd who leads his sheep, calls them by name, leads them out. Now, in this church, one of our core values is, is to have emotional health. And our subtitle in that is growing in self-awareness and seeking transformation in community. And that's so important because a lot of times you don't recognize what your gift is until you come alongside some other Christians and you realize they have different gifts. Something that you consider kind of easy or normal, they really struggle with and vice versa. And it's not until you're in that community that you start to grow in self-awareness. That's why getting connected is so important. Now, you can find connections, human connections, in lots of ways in this world. You can have a whole bunch of secular friends, your coworkers, hobbies, interests, whatever. But the problem with those things is, well, two problems. One, they take the place of your sense of belonging that should happen in the church. And two, they don't bring about the goal of the body, which Paul tells us in verse 13 is this. In verse 13, he says, until we all attain to the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God and to mature manhood with Christ as that image of what maturity looks like. So until you become like Christ, you are still being shaped. And being part of the body is helping those things happen. Unity of the faith and understanding what is this faith and the knowledge of the Son of God. I don't mean knowing facts about him. I mean knowing him personally, growing in your relationship with him. That doesn't happen in your hobby group that are not Christians. That happens when people who are sincerely seeking the kingdom of God start to get together and discuss the kingdom and discuss their ministry and what gifts they have and pray for one another and do all those things that are what Get Connected Sunday is really all about. Your community will help you learn what your gifts are and what your ministry assignment is. Now, you probably know we have two daughters, Hannah and Ellie, and they're 13 months apart. And when, he- uh, when Heather was pregnant with Ellie, the second one, she started praying silently that they would be different from one another. I don't know why. She just didn't want twins. 13 months apart is pretty close, and she didn't want twins. Well, the Lord answered that prayer across the spectrum because on the Myers-Briggs, the four um, temperament indicator, all four of the letters are different for our two girls. They are as black and white different as you can be. And I think one of our best parenting moves that is still paying dividends And by the way, this is advice to any parents out there or grandparents or frankly, anybody that knows kids is to never play favorites, but celebrate specific giftings that are positive. So 
I don't have a favorite daughter. I have favorite traits that each daughter has. And you can ask our girls how they're different from one another and even which situations those particular strengths are better in than others. There are certain situations where one of my daughters would thrive and the other would struggle and vice versa. And they know that. And by naming the fact that they were different at a very early age, I mean, I'm, I'm talking like our kids were like seven when they could tell you what their Myers-Briggs temperament indicator letters were. <laughs> but like you got an extrovert and an introvert, and the extrovert always wants to play, and the introvert wants to go into a room. Well, if you don't name that and celebrate the strengths of it and the weaknesses of both, then they start to think one is better than the other. You know what I mean? The same is true of the body of Christ. All the gifts function like that. And if we celebrate the diversity of gifts and really appreciate where somebody is different than you, that's what Paul's talking about here. Then the body starts to work together and it starts to build itself up. For about 10 years now, I've been part of this thing called the Anglican Leadership Initiative. And we take priests, rectors, uh, sometimes associates, on either a, a sailboat to live for a week and I get to be the captain of that boat, it's the best deal ever, or up onto the altitude of Colorado for a camping trip, and we help them get clarity on their calling. Not just you're called to be a pastor, but what kind of pastor specifically? Like what is your particular gift mix? What is your ministry assignment? How does your calling line up with what you're doing? And we work these, and it's, it's interesting that even pastors, ordained ministers, don't know who they are. They don't know what their gifts are. They don't know what their calling is. And I want that for everyone, not just leaders. I want it for the church at large. I want every Christian to know what their gifts are and where, where their ministry assignment is, and then use that for the body to be built up. So on Get Connected Sunday, I really want you to press in. And there's a number of ways to do this. I'm, I'm wearing a name tag today as an example and also as an experiment. We've had complaints that our name tags don't stick well. I may never get this one off because these are new ones. We'll see. Um, but this is a choice that you make to get connected to the body by letting people even know your name. And you, you start to feel like you belong when you know others and are known. And we've got a discipleship pathway that I hope every single one of you will do all four things on it. Worship, belong, serve, and make disciples, which is basically helping others do those first three things. Worship on Sundays, belong by being in a smaller group of people who are seeking the kingdom and pursuing God, serving in the church and out globally, in the world, locally, whatever, whatever your ministry assignment is, and then helping others do that. That's what Get, Connect, Get Connected Sunday is all about. And I pray that the body of Christ here and the body of Christ everywhere would be strengthened and built up. But it's the minister's out there have to, have to, well, basically, don't be a hand in a jar. That's my application point. So I'm going to stop with that, and I'm going to pray. Lord, I thank you for the gifts that are, that by your grace have been given to this particular room. Even this room has different gifts than the other services on Sunday morning, and this church has unique gifts that you've given it. I thank you for those gifts. I pray that we would appreciate them. I pray that we would get good at using them, and I pray that the body of Christ would be built up. I ask this in your holy name, Lord. Amen. Amen.